Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. I've got some great questions and I hopefully will have some really good answers for you. I love this because people ask me about all kinds of stuff. So you will see that there will be some body questions and then there'll be some personal questions and I I love them all. So I'm going to start off with this. This is ways to always protect the lower back is my question from Mick Ray. Ways to always protect the lower back. Well, the biggest thing you can do to protect your lower back is to get an integrated core. And what I mean by that is picture your spine. Your spine is upright. It has natural curves in it that allows you to stand up so that you're not just, it's not like a stick, uh, like a walking stick, but it has a walking stick feature if there's curves in it. And then around those curves of the spine, right around them are muscles very close. So those muscles that are really, really close to the spine are proximal and that's that's as close as you can get and those muscles very close there are responsible for proprioception meaning understanding where the body is in space they are basically giving navigational feedback to the rest of the body to the nervous system and they're they're being very strong and capable of giving that feedback is super important because that means in a variety of positions you're always getting this feedback from those strong muscles right around the spine itself. Um, and, and they'll say, hey, I'm bending over to get something, ramp up. Or I'm lifting something and there's going to be a load on my hands and therefore right all the way into my spine. And so as I lean over and lift something, that has been, that message has been delivered from my brain to the muscles and back again up to the brain. 
And that is happening in these kind of nanosecond so that there's always this feeling that I've got this, uh, somebody's got my back, literally. And so those core muscles there that when I say integrated core, that means the muscles surrounding on all sides of the spine, all sides of the ribs, and then, you know, all, all sides of the pelvis are constantly in communication and balanced and activated as needed. So if I'm sitting at a desk, I don't need the same amount of activation I would need if I'm hinging at my hips and lifting something off the floor. But I want the sophistication and intelligence of my core muscles to know that so that when I'm sitting, they have this kind of little bit of readiness, but they're not clenching and they're also not completely hibernating. So that type of sophistication is really good core integration that the core collaboratively, those core muscles collaboratively give feedback to how much support is needed around the spine based on the activity at hand, based on whether there's a load involved. So it's that's a long answer to your question, but the best way to protect your low, always, when you say always protect the low back, is get the engagement of the core and all the muscles around the core well-balanced. So that they are, there's a readiness to activate and perform as needed. And in that readiness, there's an assumption that there is a good length length tension ratio. So when we talk about tight muscles or loose muscles, those are those are kind of layperson terms that we understand. You know that there's an understanding of them, but doesn't really describe what's actually happening. When we say tight, what we want, what we really, when we feel that, that means that there's, there's some kind of imbalance of the muscles, that the muscles are holding or gripping more or are not as free to mo- be mo- moving. And so with an integrated core, there is a balance to not only the length of the muscles, but the readiness to which they're going to activate. And those muscles that are very close, the, the cl- close ones to the spine, that are responsible of really understanding the location and the involvement of of the limbs, those muscles have to be ready to respond. Uh, So that balance around the core is super important for protecting the low back. All of my classes, by the way, are going to help you protect your low back because we start in this reset fashion and that reset part of my classes is specifically geared toward awakening and lengthening if needed or shortening in the sense of activation, but awakening these muscles of the deep core and then outward so that they can be prepared for bigger movement. Once you start doing that over and over again, like we do in my classes, it becomes more hardwired. It's not just something that you do every once in a while, but it's, it's part of your wiring. So that's, that's what you need is that very sophisticated nervous system. I could talk a whole hour and more about that, but we're going to move on to the next. How to remedy when the space between the scapula collapses when in plank? This is Corey Yoga SF. How to remedy when the space between the scapula collapses when in plank? So what I think you're talking about is there's this natural space between the two scapular or shoulder blades when you're in plank where there is the line of the scapula or the line of the spine in between the scapula 
And then there's, there's space on either side of it. So say there's, it's about two to three inches from the midline of the body. And if you're in plank and that just collapses in toward each other, which I think you're talking about, how, how to deal with that. Well, if you're doing that, it probably means that you're not containing your deep core. If you're, if you're sure, if it's collapsing toward the spine, which is what this question sounds like, the collapses, they're collapsing, the space is collapsing. That means that your ribs, your front body is, is sinking toward the floor. So imagine this, if you're in this, it's like a bridge, but not, not like a bridge, like as a person, but a bridge as in like uh, that you walk over. And if you're going toward the center of the bridge and the structure underneath that is not holding the bridge well, it would start to sink down toward the you know river below or the dirt below, whatever. That's It would sink down because it's the structures under it that are not holding well. So if your scapula are sinking toward the, um, each other, the space is disappearing, that means you're, you're from below, you aren't being held up. So the first thing I would say is lower your knees to the floor. Unweighting the pelvis is going to give you more uh, availability to activate that area uh, around the ribs, the, all the muscles there. So you've got muscles that surround the ribs. You've got muscles that run from the ribs across the body. You've got muscles that run from the sternum all the way to the pubic bone. So all these different abdominal core muscles come together to give you stability there. So you have to activate those. So you have to pull them together like a webbing and pull that up. Not to the point that it rounds your upper back, but that it gives support for the scapula to rest on the rib cage and back. So just think about it that way. If you're in a plank, imagine wherever you're sinking, most likely you need more of a lift from below. Now, people also make the other mistake of lifting too much and having the scapula move apart, which is protraction. And they're usually doing that because they're trying to use the chest muscles in front and that lifts them up. So it's the opposite. It's like they're buckling upward. So you need to find the balance of those two positions in plank. And that's why plank is so difficult. When people tell me they could do plank for five minutes, I'm laughing to myself because I'm like, you are not, you could do plank, you can do the position, but you're not doing it with that kind of co-activated trunk where everything is working collaboratively because you're probably locking out some joints and hanging on some joints to really stay in it for five minutes. Personally, that's what I think. I can't imagine somebody really holding it with all of that co-activation happening for five minutes, it would just burn you too much. So uh, don't go for longer, go for stronger, go for smarter. So I hope that helps Miss Corey Yoga SF. Okay, another question. How do we reconcile ahimsa with invasive species? Talking about a spotted lantern flies. This is by Yogi Plunk. Wow, that is a doozy of a question. This is the type of question that is, this is a true philosophical conundrum, right? That, you know, you're practicing ahimsa, which is non-harm. It's our, it's our endeavor to do the least amount of harm and the, and the most amount of good. And so some choices are very obvious. You wouldn't want to harm another person and then you take it to the next level. You don't want to 
not, not even the next level. You're just expanding the circle. You don't want to harm other species. So I just think whatever you wouldn't want done to you, you don't do to anyone else. I wouldn't want my children taken from me. So why would I contribute to the taking of dairy calves from a mom and, or, you know, that's, it's that type of thing. It's just like, that makes sense to me. Then you get into these, these, these kind of conundrums, like, well, you have these invasive species and they are um, hurting other species, but do you kill them? So I don't know the answer, Yogi Plunk, but here's one that I think about. When I think in my heart, it feels good to attempt not to kill any being, right? And that being, that being said, however, would, do I, would I swat a mosquito? Um, yes, I would. I try and let the mosquitoes out. If they're in my house, I try and put them outside because the physical act of killing something doesn't feel good. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a mosquito or something else. But to me, I just think that, that act of, of, of just harming something is, it harms us in some way. It just doesn't feel good. It feels violent. However, there are, if you, I remember talking to with some really beautiful, kind person about this and the conundrum, like the tick, for instance. Now I have no problem killing a tick. And like what I usually do is I flush it down the toilet or I, um, you know, do some other stuff to it. But because ticks really carry all kinds of diseases and my, my friend, this very kind person said, this is a being that does nothing but carry disease and cause harm. So in other words, looking at it like there is always some purpose for species around us, but there are a few things that absolutely have give no goodness and t- are only harmful. So that's where I would say like, if this is a, this is a something that's causing a ton of harm and there's nothing good, then I guess you would have to figure out a way to rid it. And that's really hard. I so I don't know the answer. I don't I don't ever condone any kind of violence, but I think that if it's killing off a lot of our beautiful other animals or trees and things like that, then there's probably gotta be a way. But it can't be a way that's like, you know, killing other things too, like pesticides. Pesticides, my goodness. Um Barbara Kingsolver wrote a great book about the uh the evil of pesticides, and it is it's hard to to read it and to to, under, to see that it's not just killing that one thing, but it's killing so many other species and the harm that it causes the environment and then harm that causes us. So there's a ripple effect. So that was a little bit of a, like I haven't looked at these questions ahead of time, by the way, so I wasn't prepared for that one, but that's a great question. And the answer is, I don't know the answer, but I know it's a conundrum. And yes, that's my answer. All right, here's another answer. This Here's another question that's a personal one. I love it. This is by Annabelle and she wrote me, what would you tell your inner self from 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I would tell my inner self to not, I would say 10 years ago, I was in a pretty good shape. I mean, 20 years ago is really the inner self that I would talk to. But even 10 years ago, I would say what I say to my kids. And that is, remember, you can only be responsible for you. You can only be responsible for you. So 
do your absolute best to be your kindest, the most generous. You can never be too generous. And I think that's the thing. Everything is kind of energy at the end of the day. And a lot of our actions and reactions are based on fear. Fear that we're not going to have enough. Fear that something's going to be taken away. And so I think all that you can do ultimately is do your best to be the kindest and most generous and to operate despite the fear. You can't operate without it completely because we are a little hardwired to have it, but you have to operate despite it. And you have to do that over and over again so that that is the default for everything. And I think that's what I would have told my inner self is don't worry so much about things and other people. Just focus on being the best that you can be in every situation. And I think that would, there's things that I would, I worried about probably 10 years ago that just were, you know, kind of not, I don't want to say a waste of energy, but I could have spent less time on worrying, you know, whether it came to, whether it had to do with relationships or decision-making business. I was just getting into some bigger business decisions then. And, you know, just everything Every detail, when you're starting a business, you worry about, well, are you going to have enough money for this? Or if I do this? And I think if I would have said, you know what, just do your thing and know and work your ass off and be kind and it will all be, it'll all work out as it should be. And I know that sounds really naive, but actually I think it's pretty true. I think when we're bogged down with the fear of, all the stuff that can happen when you put yourself out there, it's um, it's kind of useless energy. You just, you have to operate despite the fear because it's it's going to be there and just telling the inner self, there, self that, like, it's okay, I, I, I see you there, fear, I see you. I'm not going to let you shine the flashlight for me. I'm going to do it. So that would be my advice. And here is one final question about side plank. This is by J Petro Yoga. Side plank hand placement should be directly under the shoulder or slightly forward. Well, I can tell you that I know people that have taught it with the hand um, at a different angle, and I just don't understand that. It makes no logical sense to me at all. I can see doing that as a variation when you have incredible scapula stability and and really, really, really strong neuromuscular understanding of the shoulder. But for most people, that is not where I would ever start. And I I wouldn't go there regularly. I'm just saying that as like an as a option for strengthening your scapula at a different angle, for instance. However, side plank, your shoulder should be over your wrist. Um, That is a current that comes right up into that, into the humeral head. So the wrist should be underneath the shoulder. Absolutely. 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 Putting it out in front of it is putting it in an angle where it's putting more strain on the capsule and the muscle, the tendon mus- muscular tendinous junction. And I would say that is not a good place for it to be. So I hope that answers your question. Stack it just like you would in plank. I mean, if you're in plank, think about it this way. Do you put your hands out farther in front of you? Then no, 
No, you don't do that because that's weird. So there's the answer. <laughs> uh, I hope that was helpful. I love these Q and A's. I get, I'm getting these great questions. So write me at Lara, L-A-R-A, Lara at movementbylara.com. If you want to hear your question on next week's Wednesday Q and A, I'm pulling for you. Have an awesome day. <laughs>